0: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Boy, what a weekend, huh? Well, it's another day in America, I guess. The President of the United States this morning offering condolences to the wrong city and refusing to point out the simple fact, and it is a simple fact. I mean, this goes back to a 1997 study that was published that has been repeated over and over and over again That while America has roughly the same crime rate as the UK, as the Netherlands, we have massively higher levels of death. Why? More guns. The more guns you have, the more deaths you have. It's just that simple, number one. And number two, yeah, he called out white supremacy and said this is an evil thing. But, you know, he read a teleprompter speech after Charlottesville, Virginia, too you can't take anything this guy says seriously and wait a couple of days and he'll be back to his white supremacist rhetoric because it's what he thinks is going to get him reelected and if he doesn't get reelected he's probably going to go to jail and so will his family and you know this is a cornered rat right now so somebody wrote him a nice speech and he read it with his normal lack of affect and here we are But there's a whole bunch of pieces to this that I want to talk to you about today that I think are really interesting. And by the way, welcome to the program. Tom Harman here with you. I want to start out, first of all, with... You know, originally I was gonna play a Trump speech, but you know, Nate, I, th- I think I'm just gonna skip the Trump speech altogether. I think everybody knows we've all heard Trump speeches you know, over and over again, you know, the, the one where he was in Florida and he said, you know, what do we do about this invasion of Mexicans and somebody else shoot them and he laughed and smiled and the crowd went nuts. Contrast that with this clip of Lyndon Johnson now, this is the week after john kennedy was shot the nation was in shock and mourning from a shooting death the shooting death of a president obviously but lbj comes right out and says we need to remove this poison and here's the exact quote you'll hear it in just a moment he said, let us turn away from the fanatics of the far left and the far right. Now, back at that time, there were fanatics of the far left. The, I knew some of them, the members of SDS. They had blown up a bunch of buildings and things. And the far right. And the far right back then was just basically saying, impeach Earl Warren. Well, you know, times have changed. But anyhow, LBJ says, let us turn away from the fanatics of the far left and the far right, from the apostles of bitterness and bigotry, from those defiant of law, and those who pour venom into our nation's bloodstream. Check this out.
2: The time has come for Americans of all races and creeds and political beliefs to understand and to respect one another.
0: And then he talks about putting an end to the teaching and preaching of hate.
2: So let us put an end to the teaching and the preaching of hate and evil and violence
0: and this that line gets just you know a huge applause this is congress this is a, an address to congress and then he says let us turn away from the fanatics and he talks about the venom being poured into our nation's bloodstream president Lyndon Baines Johnson
2: Let us turn away from the fanatics of the far left and the far right, from the apostles of bitterness and bigotry, from those defied of law and those who
0: pour venom into our nation's bloodstream. There you go. And of course, there's a big applause after that too. And by the way, within two years of his having said that, He had passed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. In other words, he put these things into policy. Trump giving a speech, you know, spare me. Donald Trump has now been directly cited as the motivation for 61 murders. This was actually, I guess it's now 61 plus El Paso. Dayton doesn't appear to be political. Another person just died in El Paso. It, it, maybe it's 22, whatever it is. But in any case, so you got 80, roughly 80 murders where the murderers have named Trump as part of their inspiration and five terrorist plots. When the president of the United States and his preaching creates this, isn't that an impeachable offense? Keep in mind, high, the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors does not mean a violation of the law. It means behaving in a way in, in public office that is inappropriate to the office. That was the meaning of that phrase at the time it was written into the Constitution. In the New Zealand attack, this guy killed 51 people. And in his manifesto, he said, Trump is a symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose. The Coast Guard shooter... He didn't get a chance to actually act out his entire plan. This is from mavenroundtable.io. The self-proclaimed white nationalist and skinhead had a list of intended targets, which included, among others, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Maxine Waters, Senator Richard Blumenthal, who he referred to as Sen Blumen Jew, and many of the senators running for president in 2020, end of quote. He also said if Trump was impeached, there would be a civil war. The MAGA bomber, Caesar Sayok Jr. He was constantly posting photos of himself wearing Make America Great Again caps. He attended the rallies. He drove a van plastered with stickers and photos of Trump and Pence. And he sent pipe bombs to Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden, to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, to George Soros. He pled guilty to 65 felonies. The Waffle House shooting, the Waffle House shooter, Travis Renkin, quote, wanted to set up a meeting with the president according to authorities. He was arrested in April, 2018, after he killed four people at a Nashville Waffle House. In Quebec, six people were killed in Quebec when Andre Bissonnette walked into an Islamic cultural center and unloaded 48 rounds on dozens of men wrapping up their evening prayers. He was, and this is from the New York Times, Quote, a socially isolated but intelligent young man who developed an obsession with the far right mass killers, Donald Trump and Muslims. Donald Trump has now been cited directly as the motivation or as the, what would you call it, validation for somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 murders and five terrorist plots. Is it time to impeach him? Charles Blow has a great column in the New York Times basically arguing. It's titled uh, Terror and Policy, Two Sides of White Nationalism, that what Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are doing in the Senate right now and the Republicans in the House is essentially the same thing that these shooters are doing, these white nationalist shooters, these white separatists, these white supremacist shooters. The white supremacists want to bring about a white country, an all-white nation rapidly. The guys, the Republicans in the House and Senate are trying to bring about an all-white nation slowly, relatively speaking. But in both cases, as Charles Blow writes, their goal is to, quote, maintain and ensure white dominance and white supremacy. The policymakers, Blow writes, believe they can accomplish with legislation in the legal system what the terrorists are trying to underscore with lead. In the minds of the policymakers, border walls, anti-immigrant laws, voter suppression, and packing the courts, are more prudent and permanent than bodies in the streets. The El Paso Manifesto says, the Democrats are nearly anonymous in their support of immigration while the Republicans are divided over it. But at least with Republicans, the process of mass immigration and citizenship can be greatly reduced. This is from the Manifesto of the guy who shot up uh, El Paso. Charles Blow writes, the white nationalist policymakers are annoyed by the terrorists the terrorists want to do quickly what the policymakers must insist must be done slowly. Meanwhile, Christian Piccolini, a former neo-Nazi, came out and said, I think the manifestos have been very similar since 2009, when James von Brunn walked into the D.C. Holocaust Museum and left a manifesto. They all reference the same conspiracy theories. It's called the Great Replacement, in which whites are being outbred in America. Remember Trump referring to Mexicans as, quote, breeders? The New Zealand massacre, his his, uh, manifesto cited the Great Replacement. Tim McVeigh cited this and the Turner Diaries. That was back in 1995 when he killed 168 people. And then a member of the press says to Beto O'Rourke, Uh, is there anything Donald Trump can do to make this better? And Beto O'Rourke says, what do you think? You know the beep he's been saying. He's been calling Mexican immigrants racists and criminals. I don't know, like members of the press. What the F? Hold on a second. You know, it's, and he, and he goes on, he says, I mean, connect the dots about what we've been doing in the, he's been doing in this country. He's not tolerating violence. He's inciting racism and violence in this country. I just don't know what kind of question that is. You know, there's two major newspapers in uh, Israel: the Jerusalem Post, which is very conservative, and Haaretz, which is pretty liberal. And this is an op-ed that was published in Haaretz, and I and I'm sorry, I don't have the date it was published, but it, it was like maybe a week or so ago, as I recall. Maybe maybe a little farther back than that. It's by Shemi Shalev, C H E M I S H A L E V. If you want to you know, search it. It's, it's titled, Trump's Go Home Invective Echoes Nazi Incitement Against Jews. And I'll just, I, I'm just going to quote from a couple of sentences here in this op-ed. He starts out talking about how in 1938, this German company, it was called Gunter and Company, came out with a brand new game. It was called Raus. What you did in the game was try to extract Jewish citizens from German cities and put them in concentration points where they could be shipped off to Palestine, and the first winner to successfully relocate six Jews from Germany to Palestine was the winner. Now, this was in 1938 in Germany. This was the zeitgeist, right? And then he goes on to write, Donald Trump, of course, is no Nazi, but he often seems to be drawing from the same playbook. Perhaps his inspiration comes from Adolf Hitler's collection of speeches in his book, New Order, which Trump kept next to his bed, according to his former wife, Ivana. It's hard to tell the difference between the large signs hung outside German cities declaring, quote, Jews, immigrate to your land. In our land, we already know who you are, end quote. And Trump's suggestion to four non-white Democratic congresswomen to, quote, go back to what he had previously described as their S-hole countries. He goes on to write the injection of Israel into Trump's, keep in mind, this is one of the two major Israeli newspapers, this editorial, or this op-ed. This is not by the editorial staff. It's by an op-ed writer. The injection of Israel into Trump's squabble with Democrats inflicts direct damage upon its image and standing, that would be it would be in Israel, in both the present and the future. And then he, he wraps it up. America don't stop on its shores. They roam throughout the globe, giving the U.S. presidential seal of approval to chauvinism, ethnocentrism, racism, and hatred of foreigners and immigrants, which all fell into disrepute in the wake of the Holocaust in World War II. Lawrence Tribe is just calling this right out. Lawrence Tribe, the law professor, Harvard law professor, he tweets this morning, how many more people have to die violent deaths at racist hands before impeaching the president for inciting white nationalist terrorism and violence? is taken as seriously as impeaching him for obstructing justice. The real national emergency is Donald J. Trump's terrorism, tweets Lawrence Tribe. Whoa. And as I mentioned earlier, there was a study back in 1997, I think I said 99, but it was uh, published in a 1999 book by Franklin Zimring and uh, Gordon Hawkins titled Crime is Not the Problem. And you know, what they found was uh, that rates, in fact, I'm quoting from their study, rates of common property crimes in the United States are comparable to those reported in many other Western industrialized nations, but rates of lethal violence in the United States are much higher. They looked at 20 developed countries. They found virtually no connection between crime and deaths. The only connection that they could find was between the number of guns and the number of deaths. We have 4% of the world's population and about half of all the guns in civilian hands. We've got to do something about that, and we've got to do something about this white supremacy, this this racism that has seized our country. Listening to the Tom Hartman program. Which, by the way, is nothing new, and I'll be getting into that in some length in the next hour. My mom used to make the joke that I almost flunked out of kindergarten because I couldn't take naps. I have never been good at sleeping, and I think this is, you know, just some people have the ability to sleep easily and others don't and i'm one of those don't (laughs) and so Uh, I really looked into this, and one of sleep's biggest problems, it's temperature. It's tough to get a good night's sleep if you're too hot or too cold, which is why I wanna tell you about the Pod from Eight Sleep. The Pod is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and your recovery, and it learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like your bed cool and your partner partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time because it does both sides of the bed. Um, it's a crazy comfortable bed sleep longer and deeper so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world you can get the pod the most advanced sleep system on the market at eight sleep that's e-i-g-h-t eight sleep.com slash tom t-h-o-m try the pod for 100 nights and if you don't love it they'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup once again that's eight sleep.com slash tom e-i-g-h-t sleep.com slash t-h-o-m this is the tom hartman program our book today in the Tom Harbin Book Club is The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment, by yours truly. This is from Chapter 1, The Unholy Alliance of Racism, Genocide, and Guns. In Isaiah 14, 21, the Lord tells Isaiah, Prepare for his sons a place of slaughter because of the iniquity of their fathers. It's a variation on the old story of karma and seems in a very real way to be playing out today in the United States. America is facing an epidemic, public health officials use that word, of gun-related suicides, accidents, and even homicides and police killings. That epidemic has grown worse in the past decade, largely because the number of guns in America has increased, in large part because of the racial fears of white men who have bought guns in record numbers for eight years during the time in office of America's first black president. A landmark 1999 study from researchers Franklin Zimring and Gordon Hawkins showed that the main correlation far surpassing mental illness, socioeconomic status, or race that could be defined as causal in predicting the rates of gun deaths is a simple number, the number of guns distributed among society. In the 30 years since that study, Zimring and Hawkins's results have been replicated and reanalyzed <laughs> dozens of times. As the American Academy of Pediatrics said in a release published in AAAS's Science magazine, quote, new research shows dramatic differences in the number of children hospitalized and killed each year in the U.S. from firearm-related injuries based on their state's gun legislation, even after adjusting for poverty, unemployment, and education rates. It found twice as many pediatric firearm deaths in states with the most lenient gun regulations compared to states where gun laws are strictest, end quote. They added that this is a critical issue for children, quoting Stephanie Cho, M.D., the lead author of The Abstract, quote, "...firearm-related injuries are the second leading cause of death among children in the United States, but we found a clear discrepancy in where those deaths happen that corresponds with the strengths of states' firearm legislation. In states with lenient laws, children die at alarmingly greater rates." And, unsurprisingly, America not only has unusually lenient gun laws, but also has more guns in civilian hands than any other country in the world. America has a bit more than 4% of the world's population, but holds almost 50% of all the guns in civilian hands worldwide, more than 390 million guns. And the more guns a society has, the more gun deaths it will experience. The NRA and their army of lobbyists have been quite successful in making this happen. During Obama's presidency, there was a steady and hysterical drumbeat of articles, emails, and political proclamations by so-called pro-gun politicians and think tanks, suggesting that Obama was preparing to take away everyone's guns at any minute. There was even a subtext embraced by the hard right that he wasn't going to stop there. After disarming white Americans, these folks said, Obama was going to intern them in otherwise unused FEMA camps. Flipped-out gun owners were repeatedly arrested during the Obama years trying to break into retired or temporarily vacant military facilities and toxic waste sites, looking for evidence to prove that Obama was, in fact, preparing the modern-day version of the World War II era Japanese internment camps. White supremacy was the founding notion of this nation. White Europeans thought themselves so superior to the human beings they met here in 1492 that Columbus himself became the first North American slaver shipping Taino Indians back to Spain as slaves to the royal family. A slave is as good as gold, Columbus wrote for the king and queen. Europeans in the Americas then stepped up that game into a hemisphere wide campaign of racial genocide, pulling off the largest multi-generational mass murder in the history of the world. In the midst of that effort, they also created the legal mechanisms necessary to define and legally regulate slavery and even built those systems into America's founding document, the Constitution. America was birthed in slavery and genocide, and both needed guns. It was the superior weaponry of guns that gave the European settlers a massive advantage over the bow and arrow equipped Native Americans. And it was the raw power of widespread white ownership of guns in the South that propped up the institution of slavery for hundreds of years. Without guns, neither would have been possible, or at least would have been as easy as they were to pull off. And now, after centuries of guns being used to kill off and keep down people of color in America, those same guns are creating a terrifying epidemic of gun-facilitated violence from public schools to private homes and public concerts. It's enough to make one think that I, Isaiah was on to something. Chapter 2, The Sanitized History of America. The United States' expansion and conquest in the late 18th century through the 19th century and into the 20th century is a history written by white men, inked in the blood of Native Americans and built on the broken and bloody backs of enslaved people brought here from Africa. From 1791, when the Bill of Rights went into effect, until the end of the Civil War, the Second Amendment protected the rights only of white men to own guns. This is simply because until the ratification of the 14th Amendment, states determined who was recognized as a person protected under the Constitution. Initially, in most states, that meant that white men who owned land and paid taxes were the only people considered full citizens under the Constitution. In the South, white men with guns formed slave patrols to control slaves and formed posses to hunt escaped slaves. The book, The Hidden History of Guns in the Second Amendment. I to do a deep dive into consequences of brexit and boris johnson and who is this guy and what does all this mean in particularly because i've seen a couple of reports suggesting that a hard brexit that is great britain leaving the european union without any kind of deals with anybody could even tip over the entire global economy and this is scheduled for october so this should concern all of us But let's start out with who is Boris Johnson and what's the deal here? On the line with us is our old friend Victoria Jones, who is the chief Washington analyst for the D.C. Radio Company, LLC. Her Twitter handle is Victoria Jones, D.C. Victoria, welcome back. Thanks very much, Tom. It's always great having you with us. So I understand Boris Johnson was born in New York. Does that mean he's not a natural-born citizen of the UK? <laughs> I don't I
1: don't think it works quite like that, but he went to Oxford. He's upper class. He cultivates a rumpled look. He was filed from his first journalism job at the Times of London for making up a quote attributed to one of Britain's early Edward Kings, and he became a correspondent, and he was in Brussels. And... This is a very interesting summary, I think, of his fellow correspondent's view of him. James Landale, who worked with him in Brussels and is the BBC's diplomatic correspondent, wrote a little two-line poem. Boris told such dreadful lies, it made one gasp and stretch one's eyes.
0: Wow. I mean, the copy he wrote. Here in the United States, the broad spectrum of opinion seems to range from Boris Johnson is a clown, and I don't think clowns graduate from Oxford, to Boris Johnson is the UK's version of Trump. Is there any truth to any of those perspectives? Who is this guy really, I mean, beyond the CV that you were just going through? I mean, ideologically, who is he? What, what sort of policies can you expect him? to follow is he going to play the the race card for example the way that trump has done things like that
1: well if i may quote president trump nobody knows right because he was the lord mayor of london twice and london is a liberal city and he was a moderate conservative when he was mayor of london and he was quite popular, Mayor of London. You don't get re-elected in that city, which is a polyglot city. Multiple nationalities and cultures and languages spoken. He was popular, and he, uh, he was elected twice. And that, of course, was his jumping-off point, and his ambition as a young boy was to be world king. So he used that as a jumping-off point to become what became a conservative conservative. So he wanted to become prime minister.
0: What does conservative mean in the United Kingdom? I mean, here it means that you're opposed to government involvement in any kind of healthcare program. It means that you think that companies should be able to make up their own regulations when it comes to things like toxins or pesticides or pollution. Here in the United States, being a conservative means you think that social security is a Ponzi scheme and should be handed off to the big banks in New York. How much of the socialist, in quotes, infrastructure of england would be at risk when a conservative becomes prime minister i realize you know Theresa may was i mean is this edward burke conservatism or is this william f buckley conservatism or ronald reagan what what does that mean
1: well it varies uh depending on the prime minister i mean the trains for example the trains used to be british rail then they were broken up and there was news out today that, in fact, which is a great day to release the news because it was bad news about the trains, but doing something or other with the trains, I skimmed over it because I was reading about Johnson, was going to cost more than was expected. Now, though, great day to dump that news because the privatization of the trains has not been particularly profitable, and a lot of commuters are calling for making them national again, national right. ownership. Right. Johnson, I thought well would be opposed to that. The National Health Service? There are moves to bring in all kinds of different aspects of privatization, but to break it up completely, that would be hugely unpopular. He is in favor of a fair number of things that Republicans here would be in favor of, but not all of them. The thing is, we don't really know what Boris Johnson believes. We really don't know. So Even though he says he wants a hard exit on Halloween, come what may... Does he? we may find out more at a prime minister's question time.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. For anybody who's listening or who has never seen prime minister's questions, I'm sure you can find uh, clips of it on YouTube. Just type those three words in. It is basically a weekly meeting where the prime minister stands in the well and members of parliament shout questions and talk back. And it's a very lively give and take. Am I characterizing that well, Victoria?
1: Yes. And he's going to love it. He is going to just turn it into the Boris show.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And is it true what Danny Borowitz is saying in The New Yorker, that the Queen is thinking about moving to Canada now that Boris Johnson is prime minister?
1: I don't know. I've been reading about this. I've not seen confirmation of that, but there are rumors of that. By the way, the Financial Times is reporting that Johnson has hired the executive of Sky, you know, the big media company, Mm. Andrew Griffith, to be his chief business advisor in Downing Street. Well, what's interesting about that is that Griffith loaned Johnson his £9.5 million Westminster townhouse from which to run his campaign. So labor is sort of basically saying that one of Boris Johnson's first acts is to dish out a powerful job in number 10 to his super rich pal. And basically, can Johnson's friends buy influence within the new administration is the question.
0: Is this like Donald Trump hiring Bill Shine to run his media stuff? Bill Shine formerly of Fox News. Well, he was hired to be in
1: the communications
0: Part, which didn't
1: work out too well. But this is his chief business advisor to different roles. As in economic policy.
0: Role- What's the British sentiment broadly with regard to Brexit, you know, a negotiated Brexit, which I think the president of the European Union just ruled out, you know, no more negotiations. We offered you a deal. Right. Take it or leave it. Or you know, that's you know, we worked it out with Theresa May, or a hard Brexit, which is where Great Britain leaves the European Union and and has to kind of start from scratch in terms of negotiating trade agreements with different individual countries
1: posting that that would be fine and all kinds of things like that. And, and so he'll mount a big campaign about that, I think. I think sentiment is still very mixed on Brexit. People are exhausted. Some people have sought therapy about Brexit, literally. Wow. But I think hard Brexit is something many people do not want. They are aware. They've read about how there are going to be massive lines to Dover to cross the Channel. They've read about problems with the supply that they might not be able to get medication various foods they're aware that hard brexit could be a huge huge
0: problem well it's going to be a hell of an experiment if it happens it's fascinating stuff victoria jones the chief washington analyst with the dc radio company llc victoria thank you for dropping by thanks and victoria's twitter handle is victoria jones dc You know sometimes you have one of those nights when you just can't get to sleep and you don't want to take drugs or something and so you just wake up in the morning kind of tired and you'll get over it the next day and you know all that but you end up with puffy eyes and bags under your eyes. What do you do? Well, what works is Plexiderm, and I'm not talking about days or weeks to work. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates under-eye bags and wrinkles from view in minutes. Did you hear that in minutes? The science behind Plexiderm is incredible, with clinical studies to back it up. If you look older and tired because of crow's feet, wrinkles, or under-eye bags, you can look younger in just minutes with Plexiderm. See for yourself. Watch a real video with real people and see how fast crow's crow's feet, wrinkles, and under-eye bags disappear. Those results are backed up by Plexiderm's 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Go to triplexiderm.com and use the coupon code TOM-T-H-O-M for my discount. That's triplexiderm.com with code TOM. Or you can call one 800 685 1292 and mention Tom. On the line with us, Professor Richard Wolf, the economist, co founder of democracyatwork.info, the author most recently of Understanding Marxism, RD Wolf with two is also his website. You can tweet him at Prof Wolf. And Professor Wolf, welcome back to the program.
3: Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here.
0: So, Boris Johnson just became Prime Minister of the UK. I'm reading in the Financial Times that there are some people speculating. That if this so called hard Brexit happens on Halloween, the date that it's all scheduled to happen, in other words, Britain goes all on its own as an independent nation, but it has stripped itself essentially by joining the EU of all of its different multilateral and, and bilateral trade agreements with other nations, that there will be hell to pay economically in the UK but that, perhaps more significantly, this will take a bite out of the general European economy, it'll damage the UK economy, and those two things may be enough to damage the world economy, and the US economy is sufficiently fragile right now that this could tip the whole thing over the edge. What say you, sir?
3: Well, I think you have pretty well summarized a report released by the International Monetary Fund that reaches exactly the same conclusion that namely says and I could not agree more that you are playing with fire here Boris Johnson is for England what Donald Trump was and is for the United States he's made his career because the British working-class has suffered significantly worse conditions since the collapse of 2008 than have Americans the standard of living of the average standard of living of British workers is roughly 10% below what it was a decade ago today. Whoa. And the British people are suffering, they're angry, and they're bitter, much as are large swaths of the American working class. And Mr. Johnson used that situation to become a national politician, chiefly on two arguments that should strike everyone here in the united states as quite familiar number one immigrants are a major source of our problem here in the uk those foreigners are coming here and misusing our social services adding to our crime most of these things are factually false but they are the ones that got him into power the second argument is that foreigners this time not immigrants but rather foreigners namely the european union are somehow victimizing great britain the rather in the way that trump suggested that NAFTA victimized us, or that the Chinese are victimizing us, or that virtually everybody outside the United States is victimizing us, and he's the champion who's going to set it right. That's exactly what Boris Johnson is promising. He's going to correct the suffering of the mass of the British by really taking it to the poor immigrants on the one hand and the foreigners in Europe on the other. And since this is the basis of his arrival, at this exalted position having largely embarrassed most thinking people in england for the last fifteen years of being in the limelight you're setting up for a hard brexit that's what it's called uh, what's going to happen on the thirty first of october unless one or the other side says chicken before then and if that happens yeah you're going to take a european economy already in trouble and plunge it into a mixture of downturn and uncertainty that is the last thing the world wants given the downturn and uncertainty that Trump's trade wars have already created.
0: I remember that there was an economic component to the rise of Hitler, you know, and John Maynard Keynes, in fact, said that if the uh, Treaty of Versailles was signed, that it was so punitive to Germany that he said that, and this was after World War I, of course, he said that you're setting the stage for World War II. And turns out he was right. Is it possible that the British economy could slide into recession in such a terrible fashion, not necessarily that Boris Johnson's going to turn into Hitler, but that it could produce a new conflict on the European continent, or is it more likely just to ripple across, and that in and of itself will cause crisis, particularly in those nations in the European Union, like Hungary and Poland, that already have hard-right leaders, and countries like Austria and France and Greece, where you've got hard-right movements that are on the ascendancy?
3: Well, I think you're going to see politicians on the right looking at Hungary or Poland or Italy and now at England and wondering, understandably, whether their time has come whether a mixture of anti-foreignism, anti-immigration, nativisms of various kinds, religious reactionary rediscovery of national churches and so on, that this is a road to political power, I think, yes, that's a good possibility, and there's no reason why Mr. Johnson, having ridden his way to the prime ministership by denouncing immigrants and foreigners, why anyone should think he's going to give up that road is the same mistake as imagining that Mr. Trump will, since it has worked so far to get him to where he is. So yes, I think since the economic prognosis is not good. That economic tensions and difficulties in Western Europe, North America, and Japan will continue to get worse, as they have been, and that covering them over with theaters of trade wars and anti-immigration outrages, that has been a way to get political power, and I would expect that they will continue to do that. There is, in England, however, a big difference you have a real, well-organized, large opposition. That's the Labour Party with Jeremy Corbyn. Now, they are in a negative position in terms of public relations. They've had their problems. But they are an organized force that is dead set against not only the Conservative Party as a whole, but particularly the Boris Johnson wing of that party. A third of the voters in the Conservative Party in the election that brought Boris Johnson to power voted against him. So you have a fairly big split inside the Conservative Party. Put that together with a strongly and pretty well unified, at least against Boris Johnson, Labour Party, with a long history and deep roots. And you're setting up for a very tough internal struggle over what is going to happen. And as the conditions, particularly of a bad Brexit, explode, the conflicts inside England are probably going to be the key to determining which way it
0: goes. If England and the UK's economies are substantially shaken by a hard Brexit in October... How can we expect that little earthquake over there on the other side of the Atlantic, how does that migrate over here? And what might it look like here if the world economy starts to wobble as a consequence? of
3: Well, there are a number of ways that could play out. Number one, the European economy is in tough shape. They're gonna follow the United States and try yet again with lowering interest rates to pump more money than they already have in to keep this boat with its holes afloat. How that plays out, whether that even works, is a big open question. Britain is a major player in the European economy, even now. And if it really goes down, it'll take Europe probably with it. Europe has its own problems. The Italians are basically leaving The rest of Europe, they are the third largest economy. France has problems. The Germans are going through the end of the Merkel regime. They don't know exactly which way to go. Very bad timing could really disorient. And people have to remember the overall European economy. EU is larger as an economic unit than the United States. If they can't buy from the U.S., for example, as they have, if they cut back investing here as they turn to keep their own house in order, sort of the way the Chinese have cut back their investments in the United States, we're going to feel it right away. But here's another way it could play out. Boris Johnson is going to be tempted to join with Donald Trump in military adventures you can see it already playing out with the tankers and iran you can see it happening elsewhere if you add to this volatile mix the uncertainties of these trigger happy leaders of two important military powers on what the chinese and the others are going to do and what mr macron in france is gonna have to do to salvage anything for himself and he's the weakest of all in terms of his domestic situation i mean i cannot remember a time when you have so many negative economic and political factors honing in on governments like america and britain that are less stable less in charge less on top of what's going on than the ones we have now
0: Well, wow. it's enough to make you think we might be heading toward a worldwide yeah. great depression or revisiting of the very very
3: scary time and if you're not scared it must mean you're not paying
0: attention there you go Professor Richard Wolff, the economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work, democracywork.info, his most recent book, Understanding Marxism, Wolf with two Fs.com, or democracywork.info, you can tweet him at profwolf. Professor Wolf, thank you again for dropping by.
3: Thank you, Tom. Glad to speak with you.
0: Thank you. I really enjoy it. I learned so much. Really appreciate it. I've got an important message for all my listeners. Economists will tell you that rising gold prices are an indicator of a failing currency. Well, gold is already up over 10% just since January and up over 33% in the last three years. Is all this really telling us? Well, the last crash was just a warning. It's only been papered over with trillions of dollars in new debt and statistically, the next crash is already overdue. This reality has pushed the demand for precious metals to price levels not seen in nearly six years. The time to buy gold is now before the crash and before the next price increase. The big questions everyone asks are, who can I trust and what types of gold do I buy? Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold The proper gold and silver strategy will help secure all your major assets, including your entire wealth portfolio. Call ITM Trading at one own gold Ask them for their free gold protection guide and secure your wealth while you still can. That's one 888 ow one own gold You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Tom Hartman here with you. We've been going over uh, some of the acts of violence committed in the name, literally in the name of Donald Trump, people citing Donald Trump in writing or in court as the inspiration for their actions and asking the question, is inspiring basically civil war? These are acts of insurrection An impeachable offense. I think it is. In fact, I think it's more of an impeachable offense than obstructing Robert Mueller's investigation or paying off Stormy Daniels. And we'll continue that conversation in just a moment, but given what's going on right now, I wanted to. Bring back our old buddy, Dr. Justin A. Frank, M.D. He's a psychoanalyst and clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. He is the author of Trump on the Couch, his most recent book. He also wrote Obama on the Couch and Bush on the Couch. And uh, his Twitter handle is Justin Frank, MD. And uh, Dr. Frank, welcome back.
4: Thanks, Tom. Good to be back.
0: So The Atlantic had an article the headline of which was Trump is in abusive relationship with America. You know, Trump says that he loves America, and yet he seems intent on tearing this country apart. I, I get it that he's afraid that if he doesn't get reelected under, you know, this Department of Justice policy, once he's out of office, he can be prosecuted, as well as his family. And there's something about that. But you've, you've talked about the psychopathologies associated here. In your mind, what's going on? Well, first of all, Trump has always been more of a destroyer than a
4: builder. And I think that it's important for psychoanalysts to look, and for all of us, to look for patterns of his behavior from the past, where he was always able to uh, pretend to build things, but then break them down. He stole from his father's money, he would go bankrupt and use his father to rescue him, He has a long history, the biggest one, of course, being his delinquent behavior when he was 13, when he essentially amassed an armamentarium of switchblade knives sneaking into New York from Queens. He, When his father discovered that, his father sent him to military school immediately, pulled him out of his regular school because he knew he couldn't manage his son's destructiveness. (laughs) What happened after that was his son channeled his destructiveness. It was no longer overt. He used to throw rocks at kids. He used to punch people all the time. He was very obstreperous growing up until he was about 13. And his father said, I can't take it. I can't handle you. This is what we're going to do. What Trump did as a young adult after military school was he learned to channel his destructiveness into more socially acceptable forms, which is you know aggressively taunting other people, uh, making business deals uh dishonestly, and constantly. Uh, threatening in indirect ways, but never uh, beating up or hitting anybody anymore. So his, his aggressiveness and destructiveness was sort of outsourced. And one of the main methods he uses is his language, his violence, his insinuation of violence. When he talks about good people on both sides after Charlottesville, that's a way of saying that people who are Nazis and white supremacists, have my sympathy and my support. One of the things that happens to all of us when we have a president is that that president unconsciously assumes a role in our psyches, whether we like it or not, of being a kind of superego or a conscience of the nation. It affects all of us inside, so uh, the president can set a kind of a moral tone that is really important, and some people, many people, are sort of aware of this. I mean, like I remember Republicans when they were wanting to impeach Clinton, they felt that he set a moral tone condoning sexual infidelity and and all of that stuff going on with the intern in the Oval Office, they felt that he was setting a moral tone and an example. Well, I think they understood that. They didn't understand the unconscious force of that tone. Mm -hmm. Well, Trump is setting a different moral tone, which is a form of hatred. You don't have to obey the law. You don't have to obey rules. You can give in to your desires and needs. Whenever they occur to you, you don't have to try to be polite or civilized. You can be blunt. You can be aggressive. You can be violent. And it's okay with me. Unconsciously, I am your superego, giving you permission to attack and destroy others. Right. All of his political behaviors fit with that particular precept, which is that he wants to give tax cuts to the very wealthy because he feels he's one of the very wealthy. So why not? They should have whatever they want. It's an absence of morality and an absence of a sense of responsibility for running this country and for making it a better place for everyone and for protecting education, the environment, and all those things, plus uh, the rights of the middle class and lower class to um, succeed and improve. It is an attitude of, I'll do whatever I want. It's the same thing as the superego permission of deregulating industry, saying you don't have to follow any rules. You can do whatever you want. I don't believe in political correctness, and I don't care if you pollute the water in Flint. It's okay with me. I'd rather maybe you didn't, but it's fine. You don't need to follow those rules. We can relax emissions rules in California. We don't care about fracking rules. We don't care about them because we believe that you should be able to do whatever you want. That is his deep destructiveness. People call it psychopathy or sociopathic behavior. It's true. They call it narcissistic grandiosity. It's true. But fundamentally, it's deeply cruel, sadistic, and destructive. And it is a motivating factor for how he lives his life. That's why he loved that TV show when he could go on and read a script. He didn't even have to make
0: up the words. Right, and he got say, to say you're fired, which is, yeah. uh, as somebody who's been an employer for over 40 years, I think in all that time I probably mm-hmm. fired three people. And every single time it was a trauma that took me weeks to get past, right. even though I felt and it's justified. Also
4: hard to just Right, and it's hard to just even say it.
0: Yeah. Explicitly like that. He would just whip out the
4: words like, Whoa, you're yeah. fired. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and so I don't know any employer who can do that
0: and the few who can you know like uh, chainsaw al dunlop who who uh, bragged about firing 10,000 employees at sunbeam and was hired by company after company after company to come in as a CEO simply to fire people or lay them off i think are certifiable as so as not just sociopaths but sadists history proves that out so doctor we're talking with dr justin frank the psychiatrist psychoanalyst clinical professor of uh, psychiatry at george washington university How do we deal with this? How do we deal with this as individual citizens of the United States? I have friends and family members who literally have stopped paying attention to the news. They won't read newspapers anymore. They won't watch TV or radio because they just can't stand Donald Trump in their face and he's everywhere. How do we as a nation do this?
4: Well, there's a lot of problems about how to do it. First of all, it's natural to want to turn the TV off and to tune out. And the reason one wants to do that partly is because of the anxiety listening to him creates. In other words, he makes people so angry and frustrated that we become... Uh, potentially sadistic ourselves and have full destructive fantasies towards him and towards Trump uh, supporters. And, you know, most people don't want to do that, so they just tune it out. It makes people too upset. It's too overwhelming. Okay. I understand that. But one of the ways that, it, that it's helpful is like in the last two days, to be for the people who were there gathering together in El Paso and in Dayton, they are essentially realizing that they're not alone that they are part of a much larger group and a larger community. And there is strength in that awareness. That's the first thing. It's very important to feel that you can speak with one voice in a positive way and not just in a destructive, sadistic way, which is what happens at Trump's rallies. The second thing is there needs to be some kind of person... Or a group of people to reclaim moral leadership. There can be no leadership stronger than the president, as I said before about super ego function. But we can have people who can reclaim some moral. Would leadership. that
0: be the Democratic candidates or Nancy Pelosi? Nancy Pelosi. So her moral leadership
4: would be to start impeachment proceedings now to call back Congress from recess. And to begin to, again, reinstitute legislation for gun control. There's already been a bill or two sent to the Senate even months ago, five months ago, yep. for gun control. She needs to have a bill starting now for a banning, uh, banning assault weapons, let's say, as a, as a starter. But the point is reclaiming moral leadership has to be done by a leader, not a candidate. Because there's a lot of people who are stepping up and saying things very loud and clear, but if you're a candidate, you can't be a more leader by definition. Mm-hmm. The only leader can be Congress
0: at this point, and can be Pelosi, right? Because the candidates are merely aspirants. Got it. Dr. Justin Frank, his most recent book, "Trump on the Couch." His Twitter handle: Justin Frank MD. Dr. Frank, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thank you, Tom. Good talking with you. And that's actually a, a kind of an upbeat note to end things on. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So as I've been saying, I believe that inciting racial hatred, which is what Trump has been doing for most of his life, is an impeachable offense. What say you? So let's find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. On the line with us is our old buddy Bob Nay, author of Sideswiped. Bob, as a former Republican congressman, I know you keep track of what your former friends and colleagues in that party are up to. I tried watching CNN for a few minutes this morning, but they were interviewing a Republican who was telling us it's all a mental health issue. You know, what's going on?
5: Tom, you talked about State Representative Candace Keller yet?
0: No, that's a name that I'm unfamiliar with.
5: Okay. She is a state representative in Middletown, Ohio, which is 25 miles from Dayton, where mm-hmm. the, the scene of the carnage, you right. know? Right. She's a Republican state representative. I just want to throw this out here because when you said the one Republican on TV, let me give you a Republican that's 25 miles from there. Here's her statement, which she quickly pulled down, by the way, but there's screenshots. After every mass shooting the liberals start the blame game. Why not place the blame game where it belongs? The breakdown of the traditional family, thank you transgender, homosexual marriage and drag queen advocates. Fatherlessness, a subject no one wants to discuss, the ignoring of video games, the relaxing of laws against criminals, open borders, the exception uh, the acceptance of recreational marijuana. Uh I mean I can go on and on. Um, dem- Democratic congressman anti-semitic this is a Republican state rep in Ohio, 25 miles. That's her answer.
0: Wow. So, yes, I mean, you used to hang out with these people all the time. Do they actually believe well, not this? not all of
5: them, some of them. <laughs>
0: yeah. you know, I was, I was pro
5: labor. I used to get a lot of terrible comments made to me. But no, I mean, we, we, we have them. I mean, when it comes to this issue, and they say these things, and, and again, this is State Representative Candace Keller in Ohio, 25 miles from there, and she's blaming drag queens, you know, for 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 what the the shooter did. And, uh, you know, I think he did have a father and a mother. You know, uh, I, I don't think he's a drag queen. You know, in fact, he had some sexual wrong comments towards women. So, you know, I don't know why they want to come out and say these things. I mean, they can try to address the problems, you know. But why say that? I understand when people offer prayers or sympathy or such things, don't get me wrong. But to come out and do this, and uh, I want to see the reaction of the Ohio Republicans on this.
0: Yeah, this they, is they like what.
5: Back and take
0: this. This is like what Jerry Falwell said after 9 11, you know, that it was, that it right. was God's curse for homosexuals. Uh, right.
5: Yeah, right. So uh, I just wanted to give you an example. Um, just Amazing. It, it, it really amazes me. When I was in Congress and things would happen, I would hear some of these things, and they were just the dumbest statements then. And they're really, really dumb now. Yeah. So, Bob, I, I, why
0: I, I am thinking, and I have been pitching on the air, and I'm thinking even of writing an op-ed when I get off the air today, um, that high crimes and misdemeanors in the 1770s and the 1780s, if you look that up in Black's legal dictionary, it meant basically abusing your office, abusive office, not, not behaving the way you were expected to. It, did, it did, literally did not mean breaking the law. And it it seems to me that encouraging racial violence, which is what Donald Trump has been doing, uh, certainly since the birther thing, in my opinion, but definitely since he started running for president, is a high crime and a misdemeanor in that context, that that is even a, a more impeachable offense than paying off Stormy Daniels or trying to block Mueller's investigation. What do you think?
5: Well, I think that... There's clearly treason, which is clear, but there's also, and I'm not a legal expert, but looking at this over the years, there's an open-ended reason that this is in the Constitution of the misdemeanors, you know, and the high crimes. And I think it was to, you know, endure for different circumstances uh, of a president, you know. Mm In fact, I think it was Gerald Ford, if I remember correct. I hope you you know this because you know a lot of things. His claim: the House could impeach anybody on grounds that it feels is plausible, and it doesn't have to be an exact crime. Yeah, and I think even Ford said that at one point in, time in his career. I,
0: I don't I don't know about mm-hmm. that, but but I'm that's sure that's my did. understanding. You know, high crimes was a phrase that meant crimes in high office, and and crimes was meant very loosely, as in misbehavior. Well,
5: and also, there's mal- malfeasance has always been right. ac- accepted as you know as a, an action that uh, you know right. would warrant uh, looking into a, um, and it doesn't say the word malfeasant, but it oh. indicates it you know with the misdemeanors and and again, I think it was an a open basis that they that they wrote this. I think adaptable for different circumstances.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And,
5: you know, if somebody was to incite a riot and and yell fire in a theater you know that's a crime right. so but inciting a riot in itself is a crime
0: yeah without yeah. yelling the word fire yeah, and trump's arguably doing that bob we've got 15 seconds is there anything uh big in the in the world we need to know about other than the dow collapsing and well, and all this
5: yeah the dow collapse with the chinese devaluation of the currency i think hong kong is to be watched you know they are still protesting period yeah. and the chinese are now talking about sending some uh, military in there so that's to be watched
0: yeah that could be a bloodbath that, that could. could get really Burned nasty down. really fast. Um, Bob Ney, uh, author of Thanks. Sideswiped and a reporter with Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Thanks so much for being with us today. I really want you to think about this and you know, we can discuss it some more tomorrow. Is promoting racial strife, is promoting racial hatred or racialized hatred as Donald Trump has been doing for, you know, in the public arena for the better part of 15 years, is that an impeachable offense? I think it is. Thanks so much for being with us. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom
5: Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit tomhartman.com.